Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is sponsored by Outstanley. If you are a small indie studio or even a big one and you need that extra push for graphical fidelity, then you would want to give Outstanley a call. These guys can up your game, pun totally intended, for game-ready 2D or 3D assets, animations, and UI to make sure your imagination is completely realized. Outstanley is a one-stop shop for all your visual needs and as an extra bonus, by being a Game Dev Unchained listener, go to outstanley.com. That is spelled O U T S T A N D L Y dot com and say that you're a Game Dev Unchained listener and you will get a special discount or bonus production for your order. Guys, game development is already really hard. So why not make it easier by working with these high quality professionals and save some headaches? Again, go to outstanley.com dot com like outstanding just outstandly and say that game dev unchained sent you what's up everybody welcome to game dev unchained the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof doing camera switch doing camera switch this is your host brandon fam and this is a special episode a roundtable news episode where we bring a panelist of game developers to share their opinions of the greatest and biggest uh piece of information and we're gonna break it down and uh see how it's relevant to game developers out there so without further ado i'm gonna introduce our panel over here uh and uh some familiar faces right so bam this is how we see all three of us so of course on my right we got ray graham how you doing ray and then on my other side (laughs) we got richard q so i I don't think you guys actually have ever met uh but i know you guys listen to the podcast on a, a usual basis so you know each other as being uh past guests before so uh not gonna bother with the introductions. So I'm just gonna go right into the biggest meet of the last month. So with the year of 2020 kind of taking a turn, uh one of the biggest piece of news uh that has been affecting developers out there has been a return or uh at least a bigger impact about crunch culture. Uh this is something that has been kind of headlining Gama Sutra. I've been kind of seeing it kind of cropping up in all the news outlets as uh, being apparently still a problem. So I kind of want to go around the panel. Like, has there really been a reasoning for this reemergence of talking about how crunch is bad again, Uh, all of a sudden, at least in my own uh, view of things. So Ray, you want to go first? (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if it was all of a sudden, right? Because, CD Projekt Red and and the whole um, cyberpunk cyberpunk delay has I think sprung forth more and more discussion about this again because uh, somebody that was on that team said oh yeah we're gonna still be crunching to get the game done by I think it's like what is it September October yeah uh, and so everybody I think that kind of spurred everybody to talk about it again. Do you feel like overall, I, I think like the overall um, survey, uh, there was like a state of the industry that everyone's kind of doing. Uh, Gama Sutra has been doing one. I know AGDA kind of been sharing their news. And overall, at least the last couple of years, what I saw was there's been uh, actually a decrease in overall crunchiness. So there's been an effect in the last two years where developers have been at least conscious of their rights 
as game developers and maybe uh because of the um a lot of the expose articles that's been uh kind of turning a light onto the game industry as a whole ha- has been making an impact is this an assessment that you agree richard how do you feel about it um well actually since you gave us a hint and said that you read the Gama sutra state of the industry i just sped read it um i think that uh so for the people who haven't read it yet, like uh, what are the reasons you believe caused you to work those maximum number of hours a week, basically uh, more than 40 hours? Uh, self-pressure. Uh, I personally wasn't working hard and I felt I needed slash wanted to. Uh, I think like a lot of the video game industry uh, still runs uh, and it will probably always run on the idea that uh, this is an art form. You want to express yourself. You want to get your best uh, stuff out there in front of players. Um, when you think about a game like Cyberpunk with a ton of hype around it, and um, it's a large, uh, you know, box-priced game, like, you have people who really want to make sure that they get their stuff out there and it's the best that it can be. Uh, whenever I read about articles of crunch, like, being bad, like, uh, the last one I remember was uh, with... Um, uh, Rob uh, Grand Theft Auto Rockstar, uh, and yeah, that's another like big ass game that takes a lot of effort and energy, and you really only get like one big shot to make that uh, super awesome first impression and to um, like uh, meet everyone's expectations around your game. Uh, so I definitely uh, can relate to that. Uh, I think like that's a, a main reason why like forty hours plus uh, is still always going to be around. So yeah. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah. what, are you, what are you saying, Ray? <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm saying part of it, like, yeah, so, some people would like to believe that it's just, I want to get my best stuff out and I need to work harder to get my best stuff out, right? But like, when you're on a team like that, even when even when I saw the same, um, the state of the industry survey where it's like, oh, it's self-pressure, it's, I want to do it, right? A lot of times it, it may feel like that or you may tell yourself that. But, but, you know, at the same time, it's you want to make sure that you're pulling your weight on the team and everybody else is there late. There's nobody to tell you to go home. There's also somebody telling you that, oh, or somebody setting the schedule up in such a way where in order for you to get your best stuff out, you have to crunch, right? Rather than setting it up in such a way where you can have a time to polish and and have a regular work-life balance and still produce high quality stuff, right? Um, like I, I've, people always use like, yeah, we always want to cram more stuff in and make it great. Right. But that's where the management and the people running the teams need to be like, nah, nah, this is good enough. All right. Or put time in to get that polish in. Right. So that people don't have to kill themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to add to that, like, I totally agree. Like, um, so I think it's on both sides. Like the people are willing to put in the hours. Like I, I don't know how many, um, I don't have any stats off, off the top of my head, but like, how many of the people who are crunching, like what age are they? Like, is this their first game? I mean, you can look at the people themselves, but ultimately it does come down to how the team is managed, how uh, the schedule is set up. Like, is there time to polish? Is there time uh, to accurately estimate how long any major task is going to take? Uh, Since I shifted to like indie stuff and I'm working with my family, I need to make sure that it's like really tightly scoped to keep that work-life balance going. And it's given me a lot of empathy towards understanding precisely uh, how much time is needed for a feature to get done. Uh, and I don't think that in larger uh, corporations, like that much attention can be given across the entire project. So I'm not saying it's anyone's fault, but it's definitely like how like people want to give their best effort, but also just like, you know, do they have enough time to do it and are they overtasked? Yeah, I think at least my measure by default with uh, crunching is that uh, anything more than five people, <laughs> it becomes a choice. <laughs> uh, because essentially when you're working with a large team, there's a lot of gates in place to kind of prevent problems uh, with delay of game or uh, quality stuff not getting in, right? To me... Uh, it becomes more about peer pressure and bad planning than actually trying to push this game that is so close to being the best, right? It's not. It's not about a ledge. 
And so uh, my my understanding with that and my, you know, there was a certain point in my career where I just said no, right? Just like straight up Neo, just looking at him and said no. <laughs> and a lot of that is because of experience, but just not wanting to be taken advantage of and, and fall into the peer pressure of things. And so um, I, I just see the long game of crunching <laughs> someone's, someone's i'm hearing myself repeating but like Sorry, uh, I'm like uh, yeah. <laughs> isn't my voice enough richard so uh yeah. so with crunching i think essentially i agree with i think we all all agree right um with smaller teams because there's so many so many factors that so many variables at hand that you're, you're juggling with many disciplines at once. And you're essentially maybe working on this game for the first time as a group that it's hard to account for all things. And with larger teams until we fix that problem where a five-year game is actually being made the last two years or last year, I'm not crunching <laughs> the first three years of this five-year development. No. I mean, it's it's most of these games that get delayed, like we were talking about uh, Cyberpunk, right? That game is essentially just being locked down the last two years of development. There was a lot of high... Um, uh, high-ranking officers kind of leaving at right pretty much right after the first trailer announcement was made right a lot of high departures being made shortly after that because the game was nothing but like an idea right it wasn't fully fleshed out and there were problems already happening so you guys can speak on this right you guys have been leads of major games most people kind of stick to the end just to get that credit but for you to leave before the game is out and a allegedly it's getting a bunch of hype right it usually means because of production problems that you just don't believe in or uh, agree with the creative control of what's happening with the projects not because it's super tight <laughs> uh, at least in most of the cases correct yeah like uh for yeah. a game like cyber uh, oh sorry no go ahead. delay so i don't mm -hmm. know if you're Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So I was gonna say it was like, uh, yeah. I think like um, uh, games like that, uh, which have a lot of hype to it. I mean, uh, so much of like what uh, you have to do when you like manage a product like that is like hype it up, and you need to get people excited about it. You need to get people to um, get invested into it. Like way, way, way back then, like pre-sales matter, but now it's a much different like sort of market that doesn't matter as much. Um, but you still want to stand out. You know, the industry is only getting larger and larger and there's still more money that goes into these games. People are spending more like the um, just the, the spending patterns of like consumers is like always just like increased over time um, for a game. Like uh, I, I, I haven't like done like a full analysis on this, but I think like if you were to like make a checkbox of like, things on a product that would contribute to crunch i think stuff like you know like uh how long has it been in development uh you know how is it a new ip like how much like um content is being promised and stuff i mean i think there's a correlation that you can draw i mean it's not like you know these uh, uh companies are actually thinking about like how their product is similar to other big products and how should they scope their stuff differently. Um, so I think like a lot of these like jam ups that you see uh, with big delays, like for cyberpunk and even like final fantasy seven remake, um, these things like just uh, are just part of the game industry. And like, you never know, like sometimes it's like, maybe sometimes it's not the development team's fault. Maybe they've got to work away for things like, like gold masters or regulations or other geopolitical stuff. Like, who knows, like, um, there, there's definitely reasons for these delays, and sometimes it's due to poor planning. And I would like to say that most of the time it's not because of that, um, but you never really know. Well, I mean, crunch, I think we're always going to be crunching, to be honest. Uh, although there is a decrease over time, even the state of the industry is saying that most people are still working over 40 hours on average, even if it's two, three hours over or whatever. It still counts, right? Um, uh, it just starts with upper management, especially with these AAA studios. As you guys can imagine, the more successful they are with crunch, uh, the more likely they're going to keep that um, inside. <laughs> 
<laughs> because it's working, right? Yeah. But let's move on. Uh, I want to move on to like a uh, like an update of status with. Um, well, I mean, the best way to kind of talk about this is uh, Stadia, right? So uh, I think we made some predictions and everyone kind of had like an idea that Stadia was going to be a flop, right? Uh, that it's not going to be as exciting as everybody wanted it to be. I mean, we had hopes that it would usher this uh, new new era. But uh, essentially, uh, we're still kind of having like this very slow start to it all. And uh, Google, if anything, uh, there was like a whole Reddit forum dedicated to how quiet they've been on updates and what's going on with the system and all these early adopters, which we'll just call them suckers, uh, for believing into the system. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't see it coming. Uh, They trusted into... uh, I've I've words I've words for you, but continue your point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, Richard, you don't know Ray's background, but a lot of his friends is kind of hitting this division at Google right now. A lot of ex <laughs> Ubisoft, was it uh Toronto people over there, kind of taking taking control? So Ray, do you want to kind of speak on behalf of their um, sins? <laughs> or, or I mean no, status? No, no, I meant status. I meant no, status. Man. <laughs> No man, I think I think I actually have Google Stadia in the house. I actually, okay, yeah, right, firsthand, and, firsthand experience. Um, yeah, and I and I I've played it, and I played it over a Wi-Fi connection, mm-hmm. and it's and it's good. Okay, right, it's good for what it is. It's good for what it is, right? And it's like, oh, this is cool. The problem with Google Stadia right now is there's just no games. And the games that are there are games that you could play on any other system. And there's no real reason. If you're a gamer, there's no real reason to play it on Google Stadia because you either have Xbox, you have a PS4, you have a PC. You could play any one of those games on any one of those one of those devices, right? So there's no reason for you to get a Stadia, right? Um, what they need to work on is the things that separate Stadia from regular games, right? And they really need to focus on that. And quite frankly, they just got started on that stuff late, right? So it's going to be a while before you see any of those games come out. Um, and, and so it's just a matter of can they maintain the stuff while those games come out? And then there was the whole... Um, article where they basically said well it's up to the publishers to announce the games right but like and everybody was like yeah yeah, yeah that makes sense but no it doesn't right because you're the platform builder the platform is supposed to be hyping up the platform so that people will want to announce their games on the platform right uh and so like they're really they're really really falling down on the whole publishing side of things and actually getting games on the platform platform is like it's, it's decent it can do it does what it's supposed to do right and then there's some features that they've announced that really set it apart but there's no games that are really using those features right now right it's um i mean they're treating gamers like they've never heard announcements before <laughs> I'm, I mean, like, it, it was literally at E3 when they announced their Stadia, right? And it's the Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo announcing games. <laughs> and so it's not like, of course, Ubisoft yeah. and all these guys have their own conference, but essentially you're going to a Sony thing to kind of figure out what's an exclusive or what's so impressive about their individual ecosystem that I need to buy in. But um, before I kind of move over to Richard real quick, can you, can you break down Ray, how much money you wasted on that? Like the pricing system <laughs> is what's confusing to me because I think everybody bought into the idea because oh ten dollars and then I can just play whatever. I think that's the, that's the lie. But right? That's not true. That's not true. Yeah, that's, well, that's not that's not true, right? And uh, first of all, it was a gift, so I didn't pay the hundred and thirty bucks. Oh no wonder somebody you're not else jaded. paid. Somebody else, somebody else paid the hundred thirty bucks, right? Um, secondly, secondly, I'm, I think I'm still on the free the free three months that you get with it uh, of pro. Right. Right, right. And with that, with that pro thing, you get, uh, you get a free game or there's some games that you get for free with the pro. And and then you also get a discount on some of the full price games if you're a pro member or whatever. Right. Uh, and that pro subscription is what gets you 4k resolution at 60 frames and 
all of that, right? But and if you but, wanted, if you wanted, if, and if you wanted to pay no money, I don't know if they've rolled that out yet. But there's a there is going to be a free tier that they roll out where you just get 1080p at 30 frames, and it's a free tier, and you just pay full price for the games. Um, I, I we talked about this before, and I think paying full price for the games is the only way that you could make sure that the content creators get any money out of this. Mm. Do you, you have any inside scoop from how it. people are getting paid? <laughs> because they've been very no, secretive no, but like, about I mean, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think it's I think it's obvious if you're paying 60 bucks for a full game, they're going to take some sort of cut and the, the developer gets the rest. But if you're doing it like Netflix, where you pay $12 a month and you get unlimited games to play, the value proposition of putting your game on some, a system like that diminishes really quickly unless you're getting a large amount of money up front yeah that's the netflix model right. they pay for the license yeah exactly yeah exactly and and, it, and that doesn't work for content creators i think in the video game space so the only way to do it is to, is to charge full price but then the charge full price for a game that i could play on my xbox that i actually have the disc in my hand mm-hmm. for some folks that's not good right however I think streaming is here to stay. Like, I think, I think it, there is a future, like, you know, NVIDIA is doing something right now. Microsoft is beta testing xCloud. Like as much as we want to hate, I, I don't think the, this, this is going anywhere. Yeah. So I'm going to switch it over to Richard. What are your thoughts about all this so far? Uh, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. I think that the pricing model is really uh, quite, um, I think it is what it has to be now um, until like stuff gets like figured out, like, like what exactly makes sense for people. Like, cause frankly, like when I hear like, Oh, I need to pay more money in order for like, I have better like 4k resolution or whatever. Like people haven't made those kinds of like pricing decisions since like uh, for, for a long time, in my opinion, like I remember like over a decade ago, I would care about like, um, let's say processor I use, like, oh, I had a Pentium one or two or three or four or whatever. Um, and then thinking about like, oh, does my broadband actually support this like game playing at a resolution playing, you know what I mean? Like that, that stuff is not uh, what people are used to, especially cause like, you know, um, PCs, uh, technology is like, like uh, tabled off in terms of like how powerful it has to be and like what you get out of it. And then like, you know, uh, the consoles are always really strong and you know the iphone is already pretty good and android's good uh so i think once um that becomes a little bit like more stabilized uh i think that'll be easier for people to understand what the value prop is like if you uh told asked an average like hardcore gamer like you know uh how much does it cost to do stadia you know like when people don't know how to compare apples to oranges uh then it's going to be really tough and i say apples to oranges because like you know the biggest complaint with Stadia is like no games are exclusive, but then at some point there will be exclusive games. I was actually trying to find uh, during uh, your chat just now, like uh, what games are going to be coming out exclusive, but I guess like if it's an exclusive, they're not going to reveal it till, till later. Yeah. Um, they don't, yeah. Like they don't know right yet. Man. <laughs> the truth yeah, they is they have, like, <laughs> they're scrambling oh, for well, one. <laughs> well, there's two, oh, there's two yeah. exclusive games. Yeah. There's two exclusive games right now, but still, like, yeah, two exclusive games are not very interesting. Doesn't matter, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, Cloud is definitely here to stay. I, I've always felt, and, um, like, people I've worked with, like, uh, have heard me say this before, like, but the be- the best game would be the kind that you can, like, take anywhere with you, play on PC or play on mobile or play on console. And then depending on, like, you know, you design game systems that sort of engage you for, like, sitting down for one minute or playing for half an hour. And then you could just take that experience anywhere with you. Uh, I'm still not sure exactly what that game looks like. And one of the biggest advantage, like, how that what that game would look like with cloud because one of the biggest thing about cloud is that you have like this awesome processor and then the fidelity of the graphics is awesome and you can take it anywhere with you but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh the the, the gaming fidelity the f- fidelity of like the graphics and like this the the fps doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the thing that you need in order to play a game that you would play everywhere you know like um i feel like those kind of games are already exist on mobile so it's a very, I think it's a tough niche to sort of like uh, carve out, but it's definitely like the way of the future, like, uh, like for sure. It's, it's not going to go anywhere. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. Yeah. I like the fact that I'm able to kind of play my games remotely. I've been playing with Steam uh, remote, uh, just being able to kind of. Oh, you don't like that? I love it, dude. I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> that work. It, it literally does not work. It, and especially if you're going over Wi-Fi, it does not. No, work. no. I haven't it, played it through it over Wi-Fi. Trash. It is trash over it is Wi-Fi. Absolutely <laughs> sure. Absolutely I agree with you, but. Uh, I like the idea of not having to be in front of my PC. Like I can stream from at least my PC to my TV and I'm already happy, but this is kind of leading into the GeForce now, the $5 a month subscription, right? There's no hidden weird Google Stadia, buy this freaking thumbstick for $120. All right, Ray, you got it for free. So you don't, you don't know the pain that people are going through right now, but you have to pay like 120 bucks to kind of get into playing Google Stadia, which the hardware itself doesn't just really justify it. But with GeForce Now, right, which is really interesting, is that it actually goes through and supports all your Steam account, your Epic Games account, Battle.net, and Uplay. So if you have any games that you own on those platforms, you're able to play it over Wi-Fi and remotely. So that's what GeForce now is. This correct, right? I'm I'm reading through this, and this is how far. So you're not just buying games in this Google Stadia. Uh, then that that the, the catalog is kind of owned separately. It's combining everything you've you've owned so far on PC and able to finally deliver what we all thought Stadia yeah. would be. Okay. What, what are you guys' yeah, thoughts about that? Five dollars a month versus. Uh, that's Google. Yeah, that's the first. That's the first that I'm hearing that they're combining all your different services. So I think that's pretty dope. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I'm noticing here is RTX on, right? So mm-hmm. uh, they're going to be hyping up that for a while, I'm sure. And I'm sure they have to use all of the ray tracing cards that nobody's buying. Um, so that's a good way to do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess that's cool. <laughs> and i kind of yeah, believe I like it goes back GeForce, to yeah, like what i was ahead. saying earlier mm-hmm. it's like uh how does that how is this like um what's different about how i sit down and play this versus stadia because like what you just described it already sounds like that's better but this is part of like the confusion i have it's like wait so i can play the games that i already play cheaper but anywhere like is that is that the value prop still like i think it's hard for me just as a like not at the bleeding edge to fully understand what I'm getting here. Yeah, but yeah, the idea is just taking P- your games from your PC and being able to play on your Android, right? Uh, or your oh, iPhone. Okay. Okay. I think <laughs> everybody just happy. wants that opportunity to kind of move away from their PC and, and just take their library with you. And that's why one the one reason why the Switch is so attractive to a lot of people is that you're able yeah. to kind but of have that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a fundamental difference though between the switch and like these things, right? Like, yeah, everybody's like talking like, oh yeah, you can play on your mobile device, right? As long as you have this clunky, yeah, big Bluetooth <laughs> controller to play it with, because yeah. of course not every game is gonna right. have touch controls, right? So now you're on the go with an Xbox controller and some sort of stand that you'll yeah. put your phone in and you'd be on the bus playing this thing right yeah. uh and then the switch is made to be portable like yeah. that's what it's made to do and it, and it yeah. just makes way more sense the you know to, to be portable with it you know what i mean and uh yeah. and then it can be docked at home and right so like the whole like playing these cloud games on your phone i understand the attractiveness of it but the practicality of it seems is like lost on me it seems stupid Right. I <laughs> know. Right. I I just feel like Switch is like the closest to achieving this. <laughs> like Nintendo's next system is probably going to hit this the best um, because everyone is still kind of hanging on to their hardware. Google is trying to kind of get your private information through their service. It's not a game first. So everyone has an agenda besides playing uh on a mobile device, right? Um, uh, uh, is there any uh, like stats out there that says like how popular like cloud streaming is across the world? Because I would like bet that it's more popular outside of the United States than it would be in the United States, just because I think that the idea of turning your phone or any mobile device into a really powerful like um, like a console quality gaming platform is slightly more attractive for people like for more mobile centric countries like uh, Asia 
Um, that would be my guess, thing, but I'm just kind of wondering. Yeah, the thing is, like, I've I've been dealing this space a little bit in Asia with um, the the game market in Asia, and they don't care at all about the consoles. <laughs> it's all about internet, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's all about like internet, they, they, mobile, uh, and social connections. Yeah, they don't they don't care about the consoles at all, right? And of course, they want the there's some mobile games out there that look beautiful and are really pushing the mobile devices hard. But when it comes to like, I want Xbox One on my phone, like I don't think they they care at all. Uh, they just want to be able to play the game and see the numbers go up and and play with their friends, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, global availability of this GeForce Now service, and I'm guessing that they did their marketing research. But uh, it's making it available for North America, of course, uh, Western Europe, Russia, Japan, and Korea. <laughs> That's their main yeah. focus right now. Not even China, bro. Yeah. Uh, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because about- those are the these are the those are the countries that have like most uh, console. Uh, like availability PC. penetration yeah, yeah seems like it yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, at least that's what they're aiming for it's gonna be a couple Sushi, of years Sushi. i think yeah yeah as soon as you said russia i was like yep P- like pc players like, yeah yeah people that play pc yeah it makes sense because yep. they're, they're they're combining all the pc services right epic steam yeah. Yeah. uh battle net you play right those are all the yeah. pc markets yeah. So they're yeah, they're cool. targeting the and library, the one, yeah. And, and the one cool thing about all the streaming services, like beyond all the problems that we're outlining, the one cool thing is hardware upgrades, right? Like you you just mm-hmm. get hardware upgrades for free as as time goes on. They'll just replace the GPUs, upgrade them, they'll get faster and better over time. Stadia, uh, Nvidia Now, Xbox, it'll, it'll all happen on for all of those services. That sounds cool. All right. So this is a topic that I was kind of thrown. (laughs) No, I agree with you, man. Like having a cloud-based game, not worrying about hardware um, is the biggest appeal. It actually kind of scares me. If it is becoming a publicly accessible type of service, it is accessible, but like publicly interested type of service, uh, I don't know how that's going to affect game development, like telling game developers essentially they don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> no, be like wild. Game devel- no yeah. game developers are still going to have to make their games. They're still going to have to make it to certain hardware. It's still yeah. going to have to be performing. It's still yeah. going to have to run fast. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's for, to game developers, it's not much of a difference. I think it's the more of the difference is to the users right. and their, and their bandwidth caps and, LTE bandwidth and 5G bandwidth and availability of all that stuff when you're not at home and like I like I think it's a worse experience. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then it's it's a matter of do you want to trade the convenience for that worse experience? Hmm. Answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> dude, I'm all about, about convenience, that, dude. I'm all about convenience, yeah. man. <laughs> As soon as I was playing my Steam, my Metal Gear Five, dude, I was playing that over Christmas on my phone. I was the happiest kid in the world, man. Just being able well, to. Wait, just wait, be can I just ask, like, wait? Yeah. So, so I, I can tell that you like your your cloud gaming. Uh, why were you playing Metal Gear Five on your phone? Like, uh, because just, I was playing. I, I'm honestly curious. <laughs> because I like spending time with my family, man. So as the kids are trying to play with their train set, right? I was sitting there with my game. I mean, <laughs> watching. Them. I mean. I, I mean, you could also just be doing that with a Switch, right? Like, you, know. <laughs> you can't play Metal Gear Five on the Switch, dude. There's certain games that isn't play, available on the Switch. You're, you're, you're right. You could play better games on the Switch. <laughs> oh. oh, Kojima! Kojima felt that one. Oh man! All right, so I'm going to talk about the next one. This one's kind of—I uh, think it hits home once in a while. We all uh, get into like a little. Um, let me see. I think we're a little stuck here, at least for me. How am I going? Yeah, my nose was stuck on screen for a bit. It was pretty, it was pretty uh, it's, upsetting to look at. It's, it's good now. It's good now. Man. All right. So I'm going to leave it on Richard while I, uh, I fix my camera. But uh, okay. my question, Richard, maybe you can uh, answer this first, right? Uh, gaming sure. saturation. It's becoming crazier and crazier out there in the market. We, we just had... Um, Victoria on right uh, a few weeks ago and she was telling us about how 
the week before we had her on, there was 170 games that were released on Steam within a week, right? And this is kind of becoming the average now every week. And uh, it's getting hard for us out there to stand out as game developers. It's also getting harder for gamers to kind of notice the type of games that they usually like, right? It's actually asking them to do more work. Um, What's your feeling on that? (laughs) Uh, I mean, like, it, it, it has to deal with the age groups that they're trying to target, but also finding the right game is just becoming a lot tougher on both uh, sides. I think, I think that the industry is always going to keep uh, expanding. I think that um, as game developers, like the collective consciousness, will figure out ways to like uh, hit on niches that um, you haven't really thought of before, how to appeal to certain demographics that haven't been appealed to before. Um, I mean, I'm just talking in generalities. Uh, I think you're talking about saturation within certain like bands of a target audience so uh, i think in general the number of games that are going to come out is always going to increase like i think i read some articles somewhere that like people over 50 uh are not a tap like audience yet and i could actually see like there being many games that try to appeal to gamers who are 50 and up like i myself am going to turn 50 and up at some point and uh i would love to have games that are more i guess mature or whatever right um but getting to your point like i think that um, yeah, it is going to get harder and harder for gamers to game developers to sort of stand out uh, as an indie developer. Uh, I think that the challenge is uh, it's actually kind of a welcome thing for me. I don't really think about how many games are coming out like every year. I just try to make sure that like I've thought through like all of my product planning. I've I've thought about like what people kind of want to see in the future. You know. Um, I really don't know where all these new games are coming from, like like what type of new games are coming out. Is it mostly on console or is it mostly on PC? Is it mostly indie? I'm not quite sure. Um, but, you know, to me, it's like nice to hear that like um, people are always like willing to like make games and like it, it really does help push the entire industry forward. Um, but yeah, you know, like we kind of talked about this at the beginning of your podcast that like, yeah, you know, like that additional pressure, that desire to stand out is going to lead to like, you know, developers like overworking themselves and like uh, producers and executive teams wanting to go over the top. And that's going to <laughs> lead to overtime and whatnot. So whatever. <laughs> How about you, Ray? Like you're, you're meeting with a lot of these types. <laughs> So you're you're part of the problem, but I'm also on your opinion about. I mean, what, what realistically? I feel like it's increasingly becoming this right. A lot more gamer or at least awareness are becoming game developers. A lot more accessibility to actually go out there and uh, present your ideas to the world. And so I don't yeah. really see it slowing down as much. Yeah, I see it as a good thing, though. I see it as a good thing for, I think, lowering the bar for entry and letting all voices be heard is a good thing, right? Um, you know, I'll make it about race and diversity a little bit where, like, um, underrepresented creators, it opens the door for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to make games easily and cheaply, right? Uh, but then when it gets to the point of, like, trying to capture the public's attention and be selling games... Uh, yeah, like, I think that's just media right now, right? Like, if I go on Netflix right now, I have nothing but choice of what movie to watch. I have nothing but choice of what video game to play. I have nothing but choice for what book to read, what music to listen to. There's just there's so much content being produced generally uh, across all segments of the entertainment industry. Uh but that just is a sign that, that it's growing and uh, competitions will get fierce. And it also means that people are going to really be making good stuff to, so that they can stand out. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. <laughs> I think it overall is, is, a, is a great thing that people are having a lot of choices and it just comes yeah. down to the individual or, or your team to kind of really appeal uh to their audience and and just bring it upon their shoulder and as long as it's fair competition i think everything's all game and and fun it's well it's not yeah. fair competition you already, you already know that well, <laughs> you know fair enough fair. that 
if if you it's really sure but i think there's enough on both sides that you can hear at least once in a while like a, a game that is a sole developer is able to kind of break it through as long as you keep hearing stories like that it gives you at least a, an ounce of hope if it's just like call of duty every year and battlefield every year that's dominant well they are dominating the headlines uh, yeah. and, and all that's all you hear year round, then I think it is pretty hopeless for the little guy yeah. to make it through. But I think yeah. last two years or increasingly so, we're starting to hear more and more about these smaller teams just prevailing through all that and actually providing a, a nice contrast to for the uh, gamers well, to kind of choose from. Well, what I'm hearing, what I see is like, yeah, smaller indie teams, right? But a lot of those smaller indie teams are backed by indie publishers that have ten other games under their belt, and they have they have the connections to get all the websites to pay attention to these indie games and hype Bro, them up. Don't and, be hating, you know, man. Like, don't be hating, man. That's, good, that's good homework. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not. I mean, I'm not hating at all. I'm not hating at all. Like, but God. like, like let's know, just no, be Ray's, real. Yeah. Yeah. Ray's one hundred percent right. I mean, part of like what. Um, since the last time I was on the show, Brandon, and talking about doing indie dev, like you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking to Victoria like in a couple of days about like marketing on a zero dollar budget, yeah. and then um, reaching out to a couple of publishers to help out with marketing. I'm gonna talk to someone else that I know to help out with like doing Kickstarter, and then you know, it's like you know, as Ray said, like it that that a lot of that comes intuitively to me because i've worked in the industry in, in big uh, big corporations so i just know like hey you need like a marketing budget behind that and i think that yes there's more games coming out but that doesn't mean that i'm going to do things any differently i still think that if you are smart with how you do things if you use your resources wisely if you use your connections wisely you can stand out and um, there's a part of me that uh always believes at least this is my thesis on doing our indie game that uh focusing on quality of the experience and then doing the right steps and then maintaining like building your brand as a studio as being like honest and transparent and that you're trying to deliver good value uh should work um i hope it does uh but yeah you're <laughs> right like there's also unfair competition out there that like part of the reason i do indie is to slide sort of slide under it like i'm not going to try and fight on quite like uh like uh blizzard or riot toe-to-toe there's absolutely no way that that's going to happen maybe like uh 15 years ago you could um but there was kinds of like you know like you said the market saturated and people have figured out like pretty much almost every monetization uh model out there with like you know uh even just like the data that helps you point and predict to the next monetization model uh, by the way, that's subscriptions. Uh, it's uh, those are things that like people are just more aware of nowadays than it was like a while ago. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it just brings better decisions made by game developers. And uh, I mean, the games that do get at least across to a wide swath of game de- uh, gamers. I mean, we're just getting higher quality products. To be honest, it's no more like Garage Band games <laughs> that, that because, <laughs> you know i, what I mean i still think garage band is i think garage band's fine yeah. actually it's just that you have to right. come up with something that like uh a marketing strategy to, at least yeah yeah you need to stand out you need to stand out no matter what kind of game you are making you have to make sure that you have a very clear point of view it's still creative art form in my opinion like uh you know if you make something crappy people aren't going to want to play it you know like mm-hmm. so that's that's you know, like uh, yeah. that's what I'd like to believe. Mm-hmm. But but I will I will say though, if you're competing and for quality and you're you doing higher quality stuff, I think inevitably also the cost goes up. Yeah. Yep. Right. And yep. so also the folks got to be willing to pay twenty five dollars for an indie game. Yeah. And it right. should be that way, man. Uh, it it should be that way, but so many games get like just skewered because it's like, oh, you want me to pay twenty five dollars, ah, right? But it's if it's high quality and it, it, you know people got to eat and and things cost money, right? So uh, we we have to we have to yeah. be willing to to pay those kind of price points. Yeah, I mean, my feeling yeah, is true, that true. as long like, as I'm trying to, mm-hmm. oh, go on. 
No, no. What, what are you trying to say? I'll, I'll finish after. Oh, I think that uh, honestly, trying to for for the game we're making for for Mage Hunter, we're trying to figure out should it be fifteen dollars, should it be twenty dollars, should it be twenty five. Twenty five feels like it's too much. Do a lot of research on uh, Steam Spy. Just like look through my own library and just like do a rough calculation of like how much money did I spend for this, you know? And then like you have to also think about like how much money you're trying to make what what kind of like quality bar you're trying to go out there because like the more money you spend for a game it's always got to be a higher quality like that that's like a it's like a the as fundamental of an economic rule as like gravity is for like physics although mm -hmm. gravity is just a phenomenon that happens but anyway that's not we're not talking about physics um, <laughs> so anyway uh, <laughs> i'm not talking about physics you guys can talk oh, I know, about I know. it <laughs> I, I love to talk about physics. Level one, level six, baby. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, no, like uh, for me, like uh, part of like trying to figure out the price point for our indie game is like, yeah, we can't just make it for like, you know, a couple bucks because like we have mm. to stand out. And like those cheap games that are out there, like, you know, um, I myself would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't try my hardest to put something out there that was high quality and you know the time it takes and the opportunity cost of working on this kind of game and you know just yeah the costs go up 100 as ray said mm -hmm. yep. and I, I i'm a big fan for uh, developers kind of putting the price that they feel like they deserve like I, I feel i think i've read this a couple places where developers at least indie developers tend to kind of underprice their product more That's than right. usual and uh you know, it doesn't have to be that way. I think if you build up a, a niche base, have a dedicated fan uh, that likes legitimately your game, they will or would be willing to pay whatever the price to kind of just make sure they play your game and support you. Yeah. 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 Wait, one million dollars. No, but but you said you said a dedicated fan, like one singular person. Right? Bro, but, uh, this is what I'm learning, man. It starts that's, with that's one why dedicated I said $1 million fan. Dollars, one dedicated fan that gives you a million dollars, and then you're just like oh, finding sure, one. Good. See, I think a lot of developers kind of get lost of trying to get like ten thousand people at once, but it starts with one to get to two, to get to four, to get to six. I still believe that. Yeah. Like if you can appeal to one dedicated person, the likelihood of that spreading and getting that person to talk about your game gives you a formula to work with to kind of decide how to actually roll out your marketing strategy. But that's that's wrapping up that topic. I want to kind of spend a little time uh, before we end this podcast on um, VR, right? So the last roundtable news we've done, which is a while ago, VR to me was dead <laughs> it was like just facebook's little experiment that uh zuckerberg is just grasping for straws right because everything else is failing over there but uh since then the quest has become very profitable uh so profitable that facebook posted that uh it made up for two percent of their profits last year. 98% is still advertising. But this is different from the year before for Oculus, where they were talking about how they were spending more money on advertising than at actually selling through. So uh, their, their, their Quest system is doing well. And of course, uh, the biggest news I felt like the last few months was Half-Life Alex, right? That was the first legitimate game that people were willing to shelf out money. Oh, you're not. You're shaking your head. But Valve sold out their stupid VR system that I was laughing about, right? Sold out, right? And people are lining up to play Half-Life Alex. In the last couple of months since Half-Life Alex, uh, The Walking Dead is getting a lot of buzz right now. And uh, Boneworks is another game uh, within months of each other has been causing a lot of stir. All right. Ray seems super angry at me. So go ahead I, I, and share your thoughts. <laughs> no, no, it's not I, buying I it. This guy literally buy. has everything. I, no, I think it's the typical. I, I don't, no, I think it's the typical bias of like high, only high quality games matter. Yeah. Right. And uh, and because Half Life Alex looks good and it's in the Half Life universe. Oh, finally a VR game that I care about play because it looks yeah. great. Right. But uh, but. But yeah. I can guarantee you that Beat Saber probably has more. Oh, this I, I see. I can tell that you're going to talk about Beat Saber. All right, I have Beat right? Saber, right? It and was a fun party game. No, no, and that's no, and that's why. And no, 
And that's why, that's also why Oculus, Oculus Quest is well. being successful as well, right? Because it's yeah. removing some of the removing some of the, the barriers, has cool ass games on it, right? Yeah. yeah, that don't look like Half Life Alex, right? And that's it's it's about the games, right? And uh, and I remember you, I saw you when Apex Alex was announced. I saw you mentioned you're like, oh, finally a VR game worth playing, right? Just because yeah. it has some some higher resolution textures and some lighting, like you're all of a sudden Bruh. super excited about it, like. Quality on, game man. design, man. Come on, Come man. man. Come on, man. You know how, on, first man. of all, do you know how many pent-up game designers there are at Valve, right? They've been they've been like fuming the last eight years, and so they're like unloading finally a worthy game that they're releasing. Well, their last game was what, Portal? Left 4 Dead 2? What was it? Dota doesn't count. That card game doesn't count. Portal's a dope ass game. Artifact was a flop. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, like, but anyway, like, I'm just, I'm just pointing out that there's a ton of good VR games out there that you can play at Oculus Quest. They're good. Right? And yeah. even some on PSVR that are good. Yeah. Right? Just because it has Half-Life in the name and it looks nice doesn't mean it's the first legitimate VR game. Right? That's all I'm taking offense to. All right. That's all, all I'm right. taking offense to. All right. You, while you're <laughs> taking offense to that, I'm going to go over to Richard, right? I'm going to talk to Richard here in the corner. So, I mean, like, for me, right, every system has that exclusive game that everybody that that appeals to a hardcore gamer right the sony system the microsoft system the nintendo system the pc system right the one that kind of takes off is usually an exclusive game that appeals to core gamers at least in my opinion right and to me beat saber was not it i'm not ready to hang my coat on that game as being the the best vr game (laughs) what's the core what's the core gamer what's the core gamer market for the wii <laughs> the tennis game. We're working for the Wii U, for the Wii U, right? Like, come on, man! Like, it's, Wii... it's clearly a wait, wait. Are you are, uh, are you bringing up the Wii U yeah. as an example of a good system? What were you saying? No, no, no. I'm bringing up an example of a system. Yeah, I'm bringing up an example of a system that doesn't really appeal to core gamers, but still makes some money out here in these streets, right? Right. And, and that's the thing. I think I think it's a misnomer to always gauge the success of everything by the core gamer market, right? Because sometimes it ain't about them. All right, I'll give you the Wii. <laughs> but come on, even the Switch people are talking about Zelda, right? They're not talking about that. Oh, I wonder where that tennis game is or that bowling game. Zelda, <laughs> no one's talking. If you, about if, you at, if you look at Zelda, Zelda's not even really like that. That good looking of a core game, right? It's just a good game. Yeah, good but, game systems. Good. All right, like, then our definition of core game. gaming is kind of. Uh, I think we have a yeah. miscommunication. To me, core gaming is not it's, it's highest not, quality it's not, graphic. It's not or anything. Call of Duty. It's not yeah. Call of Duty, right? No, I'm talking about just people who've been dedicated to games the last five plus years, right? We've been playing games on a, a consistent level, right? Uh, Beat Saber kind of brings a bit about everybody you know and and in the living room that that sees it for the first time i want to try that sure but that doesn't qualify as a hardcore game here because it's you know with zelda it's like hey there's a history of zelda players that heard about zelda and want to keep playing see to me that's a hardcore game yeah. that's a guy that's been around yeah yeah but but also in that context too like if you look at it, if you expand it out to the global context of right. games right right like the core gamer, the core <laughs> gamer, ain't nothing, right? Angry like, in, in, the, in the grand scheme, of, the grand scheme of things, right? So that's you know, I, I think always measuring success by that is always like, fine, like, nah, nah, don't do, don't do that. Right. I'm, I'm promising you. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna let Ray have the last round. So I'm saying this one thing before I, I bring it to Richard. All right, the phone. All right, the phone is brought in by casual players because most people have phones that don't play games. Fine. As soon as the VR actually has glasses peripherals, kind of like what Richard is wearing right now, that people can have other functionality. Right. 
it's still it still is a core device it's a hardcore device that's the main problem they're trying to break right now right and so for me it's a disservice to kind of not focus on that hardcore group uh before moving on and doing something else like beat Seaver two or something <laughs> all right richard you your thoughts on vr as a game designer uh all right. As a game designer, uh, well, today I learned that your definition of core gamer is very different than what I, my definition of core gamer is. We, we all have uh, I, all I, different different definitions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's just a, it's a question of like you have to say core gamer as in hardcore gamer, as in willing to pay lots of money, spend a lot of time, wants the best quality experience, you know, like uh you have a game like Call of Duty, which is all-encompassing with a massive single-player game and tons of multiplayer modes and, like, hits social, hits grinding, hits everything, right? Uh, I think that uh, Half-Life Alex, like, um, I'm not a huge, huge fan of VR because I just think that, like, um, a lot of the experiences you get from it are a bit, like, for me personally, like, with, like, the way that my brain works, like, it's disorientating. Uh, and, and I don't find, like, scrounging through areas and picking up loot uh with my actual hands to be more satisfying than just playing it in like fallout and just like finding stuff and putting it together but then again you know maybe uh maybe the cinematics will be much better done and maybe there'll be like really great level gimmicks because half-life is uh, valve is amazing at gimmicks uh level gimmicks um we looked to them a lot when i was working at blizzard uh for like good examples of that um but yeah, as a, as a as a designer, like I think that um, a lot of this is colored by like my time working at Pocket Gems, at Wargaming, at Riot. I think that like the 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 most like the biggest games are the ones that connect people together, and I think that VR inherently has issues like connecting players to other players because it's so focused on immersing one person's senses. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but, like, I would bet that uh, Facebook with, like, their AR department will be a bit more successful in trying to connect players together because that's, like, sort of their mission statement. Um, Plus, like, I know, like, one of their product directors there, and I think he's a really smart guy. Uh, He used to work at Riot um, in the social side of design. Um, So we'll see. But, like, in terms of, like, developing, like, super core experiences that, like, really... um, for lack of a better word, are like orgasmic to look at. I would say Half-Life Alex is definitely <laughs> up there. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like very, very um it's also like the anticipation of like people want to play Half-Life 3 and you get to play Alex and you get to visit um City 17, and then there's all these questions, and you know, like they're making all their Half-Life games free uh to sort of build up hype, you know. So I think like there's uh if there was a company that was going to really make a mark on VR uh, and try to optimize every single way to do it, um, Valve is definitely trying to do that with this, which is uh, kudos to them. And I'm happy for players like you, Brandon. But like as a game designer, I don't I don't work at Valve as a fan of VR, and I'm not really a big a fan. So uh-huh. hooray for you! <laughs> well, let me let me at least ask this question to both of you. Right? Who's making a better? Uh, uh, taking a bigger step forward for VR, right? Is it Beat Saber for for the Quest, or is it <laughs> Valve with their Half Life Alex? I mean, which one is making the bigger impact, or or, or is there even a, it's, it's, a comparison? I, I, I think it's I think it's clearly it's Beat Saber. Like, like I mean, let's be real. Oh, that game is so fucking goofy, man. <laughs> yeah, you know that game's good, bro. You know that game's good, so stop it. And like and um Yeah, like and also like, you know, of course Valve wants to be able to also sell the index, right? And the index, how much is the index? What is it? Eleven hundred, twelve hundred bucks? Like what is it? It's, it's like a thousand bucks. That it's they like sold out, amount. bro. They sold out, all right? There's, there's probably, there's probably only, they probably only can afford to make 10 of them, right? Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> that's, that's just expensive, right? So, uh-huh. like, let's just let's pump the brakes, man. Pump the brakes on, on, on the excitement for all of this. So, yeah, like, it's Half-Life. Like, it's a good marketing gimmick. You know, if it was just Joe Blow making a, a first-person game, on that same system, nobody would really care. I think, quite frankly. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And you're only, yeah, and you're only excited. Amazing. <laughs> this, you know, okay, I, I, I will say this though, Ray, about it. I would gladly play this and like an arcade, a VR arcade. You know, I would, <laughs> I just can't, I just can't see myself buying this and hooking this up in my, like my kids would destroy all of this. Like, I don't think, <laughs> anyway, no, I'm not trying to rag on you, Brad, but like, damn, damn. That's like, yeah, that's like, man. um, you know what, you and I, I bet you would jack yourself into the matrix and just say bye bye to everything. That that you would be the first day one. Day. See, well, let me kind of. Um, I guess my background <laughs> kind of helps with this because I'm the environment artist, right? That's my background, so I'm used to building worlds and wanting to walk through it. So VR gives me that gateway to kind of appreciate the world and being able to look around and be transported over there, right? Beat Saber is nice, right? If I'm like trying to kill time right but i'm not rushing home to play beat saber <laughs> that is not it's not it. it's like the same equivalent of like i can't wait to play guitar hero tonight right it was a fad it was a a, a time that passed it, it has no lasting impact of of any memory and experience that i still kind of hark back into when i'm trying to remember all oh, the good old days of that shitty plastic guitar it's like no man it was <laughs> it has no no emblem of importance in my history of gaming, right? But Half-Life is a moment that anybody can talk about and you get and you understand. Even if you're not a fan, you're like, I understand the impact, right? No one's going to talk about Pete Saber five years from now. <laughs> like, that's just the truth of it. I, th- I think you're I think you're also underselling the whole rhythm game genre, honestly, because there's still dudes that play dance dance revolution in the arcades and put it on two player one player playing on both pad mode and go buck wild right there's still dudes that do this yeah you know why because no one's day. playing with him and it's, and it's been <laughs> but no one's why he has to learn to play by himself and it's been much longer yeah yeah and it's been designed for single player five years yeah it's been much longer than five years right and i don't have to hear half like that so you guys it's a great game whatever right but the but i just like i said to say that now vr has arrived because this game shows up i think is very very narrow sighted all right (laughs) i'm gonna have to see what quest has in store because i still you know i know quest is kind of flying off the shelves sure well at least selling more units but i can't really name a single game besides beat saber that that I, you know, I'll, what's what's the I'm point just gonna it, make you know? a wild prediction right now that somewhere someone is making some like extension to Pokemon Go that you can play on AR glasses instead of VR, and then people are just gonna lose their shit because they just need to find like a field of a certain size, yeah. and then some central server plops down a fucking like AR like a gym with like a humongous like uh, raid Pokemon just staring at everybody, and everyone's yeah. just gonna like that. That's what I mean by like. It's going to have that mass multiplayer appeal, but then it's got a huge IP and it's got like, um, yeah. well, yeah. Pokemon gameplay is fairly like shallow overall, but like um, it, it can get, it can evolve. It's into a strong a IP. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. That's what I think is doing like, something. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I AR, would <laughs> I think AR is definitely the future, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's not VR, right? That's the <laughs> Just let Brandon Jack into the Matrix and then, you know. <laughs> no, the AR is going to be the jumping off point, but the Matrix, Neo's not wearing AR glasses, bro. It's the Matrix. It's <laughs> VR. <laughs> AR has to be the stepping stone, but the VR is the full transportation of the experience. Brandon, People are going to want to close their Brandon's eyes. Homeboy, Brandon's homeboy eating the steak. <laughs> saying ignorance, yeah. ignorance is bliss, you know. Like this, yeah, yeah, he's going to be, yeah. Why, why don't you guys go to sleep tonight all right and then tell me about your dreams how you just still in your damn room and there's things pop up dude no your best dreams are where you're transported to somewhere else and you believe in it right i i, I agree yeah, it's just that I, I just don't think the technology is going to it's be not there, there yet right the end game yeah. is vr but right now it's just in transitional phase to make ar relevant and it's going to be a few years but until then we have Affleck alex uh leading the way and Beat Saber is kind of for the old folks. <laughs> for the old folks home, to get their body moving. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. 
All right, man. So uh, that that concludes the hour. I want to thank you, our panel of guests, Ray Graham and uh, Richard Coop for coming on and discussing these important topics so this is a, a monthly podcast hopefully you guys will come back but uh it was good to catch up with you guys to share your opinions i love when we disagree especially how wrong you guys are on certain tips <laughs> but i appreciate your opinions all right i'll, I'll keep it to myself and people out there can uh, either agree or disagree that's the whole point of it, right so i want to thank you guys for spending the time and uh that's it i'll let you guys go all right have a good one guys Peace. Peace, man. until next time Peace. Peace. thank you for listening to today's episode if you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody